0: All right, thanks, you can be seated. You know, we've been talking about this every week, doesn't seem to be going away. The enemy's having his way with us, church, beating the snot out of us, and I don't know about you, but I'm tired of it. He's using three pretty good tools that he loves to have in his, Rocker good to see you. Three great, big tools that he's, he's pounding us with right now, and the first one's fear. I love that song that we just sang, and we're not afraid. Listen, everybody's afraid of everything these days. People are afraid to wear masks. people are afraid not to wear masks. People are afraid to send their kids back to school. People are afraid not to send their kids back to school. People are afraid they're never going to come up with a vaccine. People are afraid they're going to come up with a vaccine, put a chip in it, and make us all take it. We're afraid of the Republicans. We're afraid of the Democrats. We're afraid Trump's going to get reelected. We're scared to death. He's not going to get reelected. We're afraid of China and the economy. He has got us scared to death, despite the fact the Bible says over 360 times, "Do not be afraid. We well, have I anything to be afraid of? Then he throws in confusion. works so well with fear. You know, if you don't uh, want to wear a mask, you can find five articles telling you you shouldn't. If you want to wear a mask, you can find at least 10 telling you you should. If you don't want to send your kids back to school, there are statistics by the droves telling you you shouldn't. If you want to send them back to school, Dr. Fauci says that's the best thing to do. Same thing with the uh, vaccine, same thing with everything. So that's why we keep talking about the fact that you can't know the truth because you're hearing different stories on different sites. So he's got us scared and then he's got us confused, and that brings in the third one. This is his biggest tool because it's Then we get proud because we're afraid. We pick one of these sides and then we fold our arms and argue about it. I'm watching Christian brothers, sisters fighting back and forth about masks and about vaccines and about school. and About all kinds of stuff. Stop it. (laughs) You can't know the truth. Don't fight about it. I want to talk about one of these tools. I want to get it back in the box today because it's killing us. And I've been working on opposites last week. I was thinking about different opposites. For example, anybody know what the opposite of irony is? Wrinkly. (laughs) You'll like this one. You know what the opposite of progress is? Congress. Yeah. I asked Ashley last week if she could give me the opposite of crooked or curvy. And she gave me a pretty straightforward answer. I worked all yesterday afternoon trying to figure out the opposite of dusk, and I finally just called it a day. All right, I'm finished with that thing. What's the opposite of humility? Because that's what we talked about last week. The opposite of humility is pride. That's the tool of Satan I'd like to get back in the box today, this pride business. Now, fortunately, I don't struggle with pride. I'm a very humble person. I'm proud of it. Oh, Lord, it's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way. I can't wait to look in the mirror because I get better looking every day. To know me is to love me. I must be some kind of a man. Oh, Lord, it's hard to be humble, but I'm doing the best I can. Pride's obnoxious, isn't it? And you actually run into people like that. Call them what you want. Big-headed, puffed up, a legend in their own mind. It's just ugly. Proverbs 16, 19 reads, Better to be lowly in spirit and among the oppressed than to share and plunder with the proud. You know what he's saying? He's saying it's better to not have anything and hang out with humble people than it is to have a whole lot of stuff and hang out with proud people. You know why? Because pride is ugly. Pride is, well, it's prugly, okay? It's pride and ugly. It's prugly. That's the title this morning. You wondered how it's going to tie that in, didn't you, Aaron? That's it. It's prugly. One guy said, if I could buy him for what he's worth and sell him for what he thinks he's worth, I could make a million dollars. That's pride. It's ugly, And pride causes us to do really ugly and annoying things. For example, if you've got pride in your life, then you're going to be pretty impatient. Because look, if you're the big duck in the puddle, if a little duck jumps in your puddle and splashes you with water, you're going to get upset with that. Pride causes us to be quick tempered too. If you're all about yourself and you get up tomorrow morning and you get dressed and you're having a good hair day and you walk outside and the wind catches and blows your hair, you're going to be so mad. You're going to pout. I've seen it. People who obsess over their hair are crazy anyway. And don't look at me like that. It takes a hurricane-force wind to move this brilla pad. You know what I'm talking about? But pride does that to us. We get mad if we don't get picked. We get mad if we're not first. We get mad if we don't get noticed. That's why when people cut us off in traffic, we get so mad. That's my spot, my lane, my country, my state, mine, mine, mine. Ugly stuff. And I'll tell you, family, pride's not just obnoxious. It's deadly. Because pride gets in the heart, and listen to me, it's involved in every other sin. It's deadly. Just ask David. A lowly shepherd boy, a man after God's own heart, became king and got proud and wrecked everything. I'm talking about a giant slayer, King David, who couldn't beat the one giant in his life that haunted him his entire life pride. This giant needs to die. So we're going to read a text together this morning uh, where Jesus talks about this, and then we're going to talk about it come down the altar and put this one to bed, okay? Luke chapter 18, verse 9 through 14, to some who are confident at their own righteousness and look down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. Oh, God, I thank you I'm not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like that tax collector over there. Why, I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of all I've got. But the tax collector stood over in a distance. He wouldn't even look to heaven. But he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Hey, we just talked about that last week, didn't we? Here's what's going on. Jesus is dealing with a bunch of religious people. That'd be us, by the way who were so confident in their self-righteousness that Luke says they were looking down on, with contempt on everybody else. So Jesus used this story to teach them a lesson. Now, the Pharisee in this story, he's, this is a religious professional. This is a, a religious celebrity. And he stood up and everybody knew who he was. And he said, oh God, I'm so thankful that I'm in a fundamentally different category than the rest of those people. They're evil and they do nasty things. I don't do that. But not only do I not do the things they do, I do other things. Why? I I fast twice a week. It's interesting, by the way, they were only commanded to fast once a year. He did it twice a week. Mondays and Thursdays would be my guess. You know why? Because those were market days. Everybody would see it. I give a tenth of all I got. And By the way, Jesus said he stood up to pray. Why did the guy stand up to pray? So everybody could see him. He's done a self-evaluation, and he's come to the conclusion that he's a pretty doggone good man. He's not like everybody else. He's a Christian. He just forgot about one thing, his pride. Then there's another fellow in Jesus' story, the other guy. He's a tax collector, and if you remember in Jesus' day, that's the equivalent of a a drug trafficker, a child abuser. This was a nasty, no good enemy of the state of Israel that nobody would have anything to do with. And this guy wouldn't even look to heaven. He stayed way over in the distance and he beat his breast and said, Lord, I don't even deserve to be here. Now look, the, the people that are hearing this story, they had no problem understanding who the good guy was and who the bad guy was. The bad guy was this sleazy, no good tax collector and they couldn't wait for him to get nuked in the story. And that's why they're shocked when Jesus points to the wrong guy. And said, there's a good one right there. It wasn't the Pharisee. It was the scum of the earth, the sleazeball, the tax collector. Jesus said, he goes home justified today. Why? Because he humbled himself. Because he threw himself on the mercy of the court. Because he wasn't all about himself. Proverbs 6.16, Solomon says, there are six things that God hates. Did you know God hated? Six things that God hates. Seven things that are detestable to him. Then he lists them. You know what's number one on the list? pride it's a killer and the enemy's using it against us and we need to stop it so on the time i got left we're going to look at some evidences of pride in our life and <clears throat> see if it's slipping in and then we're going to get our slings out and do some work down at the altar today here's the first form of pride that i noticed in the bible self-preoccupation or narcissism proverbs 17 19 reads in the good news bible boasting or bragging is just asking for trouble now, this is talking about a person that focuses on themselves, mainly their appearance and their image. I don't know if you have any trouble with this or not. I'll give you some examples and you can check. If you've ever exercised at all in spandex, you've probably got a problem with this. You know what I mean? If you like to go to the gym and work out where one the one wall's all mirrors and you love to watch yourself work out, you might have a problem with this. If you're looking at family photos from the wedding or the get-together or vacation and you pretend like you're looking at somebody else and you say, oh, they look good, but you're really looking at yourself thinking, I look good, I'm better looking, I thought you probably got a problem with it, you know. But seriously, sometimes don't we have these, every now and then, these moments where we're just preoccupied with ourselves. raise your hand. The rest of you, I'm going to talk about lying next week. Make sure you're here, okay? One little preschool boy had a prescription for this kind of ego problem. He said, when you get together, don't act big and don't act small. Act medium. That's pretty good advice. And I'll tell you something, ministry people, people up front, especially preachers, we, we struggle with this a lot. I'll tell you why do you have a job where at least one time a week somebody tells you you're doing good? Because I do at least once a week. Somebody here saying, good, good sermon preacher. Good job. At least they know good preaching when they hear it. Good stuff, preacher. And I say, well, thank you, my son. You know, a good remedy for that, by the way, a good remedy for that is Bobby Cardwell. But he's been gone about four years now. But bless his heart, he trained some people. And now I have Carl Dad and Melvin Williams and his sons, just as good as he ever thought to be, who let me know every week that I really stink. You know, and I appreciate that. I, I love uh, the story of this kid is going to preach his first sermon ever. And he, he told his professor, I cannot wait to preach that this thing is a blockbuster. But he bombed. It was terrible. And uh, he just walked out of the pulpit with his head down. He asked the professor, what did I do wrong? And the professor said, "Son." If you'd have walked into the pulpit the way you walked out of the pulpit, you would have walked out of the pulpit the way you walked in. If you humble yourself, you'll be exalted. If you exalt yourself, you're going to be humbled. But look, it's not just preachers and worship leaders who have trouble with this. It's not just preachers that have small delusions of grandeur every now and then. It's all of us if we're not careful. All of us get full of ourselves sometimes. All of us think more highly of ourselves than we should. So what do we do about it? Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 3, For the, by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith that God's given you. And that's that something? There's a grace business. Last week we found out that grace will keep us from getting a bitter heart, and this week we'll find out that grace will keep us from being proud. Grace is the answer, right? Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for they will see God. So here's the deal. If you and I want to beat pride in ourselves, the first thing we do is get our eyes off ourselves and get them on God. Because if you look at God and then you look at your own life, you'll pull your spiritual pockets inside out and you'll see very quickly, you're broke. I'm broke. We have no righteousness to be proud of. Not before our God. We've got to stand on Christ alone. Here's a second evidence of pride in our life. Stubbornness. Proverbs 29.1 reads, one who is often reproved and yet still remains stubborn will suddenly be broken beyond healing. You know who he's talking about. He's talking about somebody who you just can't give any constructive criticism to at all because they're not going to listen. Because you know what? That's just them. And if you're struggling with this, then you're very self, you're defensive. Anybody comes to you at all with a suggestion, maybe you should do this differently, maybe you should act this way differently, maybe you shouldn't do this, you're going to deny it, avoid it, or completely run from it because that would put a blemish on you and you don't have any blemishes. And if this is you, the funny thing about you is you've never been wrong a day in your life. Now, raise your hand if that's you sometimes. You like to be right or defensive. Raise your hand if you're sitting next to somebody who's that way. Ah, now the hands are going up. You know what I'm talking about? Here's one of the biggest problems with this form of stubbornness. Man, it destroys relationships quickly. Quickly. If you always have to be right, then things are going to go south for you very quickly. That's why we keep saying every week, listen to me, relationships, with all these issues floating around, relationships are a whole lot more important than being right. This will kill you. This will ruin relationships at work, it a relationship, relationships uh, at church, everywhere you go. Rob Richman and I were talking uh, not too long ago about some of the goofy things we said to our kids when they were growing up. Silly things that we don't think about. You know, like, who do you think you are? What, well, do you want me to wear a name tag or something? You know, or, 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 or this one, I love this one. We used to say, you want me to come in there? Don't make me come in there. You want me to come in there? No, Dad, just keep your seat. We got this. You know what I mean? Uh, My favorite one was, and I used to do this. You want a spanking? You want me to pull over this car right now and let you have it? Oh, please, please, Dad. I've been hoping for 20 miles you'd do that. We just say some goofy things to our kids growing up. But let me tell you something, family, parents, grandparents, if we bring pride into this picture, the goofy things we say to our kids become destructive things, and I have heard some terrible things said to kids. You're just fat. You're just lazy. You're so stupid. I wish I hadn't even had you. I listened to a gal cuss a little kid out in a Walmart in Louisville, Kentucky a couple years ago with language that caused me to blush, and I worked in a factory for years. Man, we got to be careful. We went to a Little League ball game a couple years ago. Angie and I used to love to do a lot of that. And some little kid circled under a ball out in right field and put his mitt out, closed his eyes, and the ball went right in it. No, nobody was more shocked that he caught the ball than he was, and it was awesome. Everybody was cheering, "Good job, man! Nice catch!" Everybody but one person. His dad stood up in the back of the bleachers and yelled at the top of his lungs, "It's about blanking time!" Galatians chapter 6, verse 3, if anyone thinks he's something when he's nothing, he has deceived himself. In other words, one of the best ways for us to properly look at other people, especially these days, is to get a proper look at ourselves. That's called humility. And to remember where we're at underneath God and where other people are. And start admitting that we're not always right. We got a lot of sharp people in this church, but nobody's ever always Right? and laugh at some of your mistakes, and laugh at some of your kids' mistakes. They're not always right either. And be proud and happy in a godly way for what God has made you and your family. Another evidence of pride, and this one is so powerful because it's so much fun, is judging people. Even though Jesus said very clearly in Matthew 7, verse 1, do not judge or you too will be judged. Some people just love to do this. And this is, if this is your problem, then the whole world is a movie and you're a critic. And you just point out wrongs with everybody, every group, every person, you know. And listen, the problem is not so much that you're discerning and evaluating. Discernment and evaluation is an important thing, especially in these days. The main root of the problem is here. You're not for anybody. You're not rooting anybody on. You're all for yourself, and so you're picking everything else apart if this is your problem. I'm going to stop here in a minute and tell you what a great group of people you have been to me for 32 years. I know a lot of preachers who would give their left arm to be able to stand up here and preach to a group of people like you, but they don't get to. I can count on two hands in 32 years how many bad letters or texts or emails I've gotten from people concerning my sermon. Every time I stand up here, I get a sense you're for me. I wish you could all stand up here at least once and feel experience what it is to preach to a body of men and women who are so hungry for the Word of God they're trying to pull it out of you. And you can tell they're for you. And even on the days when you bomb, which I'm sure there are some, and maybe even be today, you never know it because they're still rooting you on. They're praying for you. And it's not that you don't criticize me or ask me questions. That wouldn't be fair. That happens. But even when you do that, it's gentle and loving. And I just love you. I, it's just amazing. Okay, back to the spanking. One of the big problems with judgmental pride is it wrecks relationships. It goes deep quick. And again, this will wreck work. This will wreck at home. This will wreck at at church, community. Probably the biggest place we see this going on right now, this pride thing, is in marriages. It's a killer. We went to a pitch-in about 15 years ago, Angie and I, in a home. There's quite a few people. And Angie brought me my food. We were all sitting around talking. She always has made my food and brought it to me. My too-good-to-be-true wife brought my food to me. And there was a young married couple, newlyweds, sitting next to us, And the guy said to the girl, when are you going to start treating me the way she treats him? And very quickly the wife said, as soon as you start treating me the way he treats her. And I looked at him and said, one of you got to start. One of you has to start. This pride thing at home, listen, if you're so full of yourself at home, you're not going to have room for your spouse. I've seen this played out over and over and over again. Whoever has the most power has the least love. Whoever has the most love has the least power. And everything becomes a power play. Uh, Money is a power play. Children are a power play. Sex is a power play. And you try to tell them they need some help. No, we don't need any help. We got this until it's too late. Proverbs 13.10 reads, Pride only breeds quarrels. Did you hear that? When you're proud, all you're going to do is fight. But wisdom is found in those who take advice. In other words, husbands and wives, if you got this pride thing working at your house, swallow your pride a little bit, quit fighting and go get some help. I love what Paul says in Philippians chapter 2. This is good for all us. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any fellowship with His Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete, he says, being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Nothing. Nothing. But in humility, consider others better than yourself. Husbands, would you like to have a perfect marriage? You go home today and love your wife like nobody's business. You put her first above everything, above yourself, above the kids, above your job, above everything but God himself. And you'll be a happy man because you'll have a happy wife. Wives, you want to have a good marriage, you go home today and respect your husband in word and deed and love him out the door. And you, you won't believe the difference it'll make. You put this tool of the enemy back in the box. One last thing, and i got to get us down to the altar. The last evidence of pride is a controlling person. Ephesians 5, 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another. Look, a controlling person just can't do that because they got to control everything. They got to touch everything that goes on. Everything at work, everything at home, everything at church has got to go through them. They got to be in control of everything. In fact, a controlling person motto is like this. If you want something done right, you got to do it yourself. They can't relinquish anything. And the dangerous part of this pride is this can actually block your salvation. Proverbs chapter 16 verse 5, the Lord detests all the proud of heart. Be sure of this, they will not go unpunished. You know why God hates this kind of pride? Because it's all about self. Because we're told to love each other, that everybody matters. And this kind of pride, it won't allow it. You've got to be the one in charge. You've got to be the one who controls. The Bible says that Jesus Christ died for every one of us. This kind of pride says, I don't need that. The, the Bible, the Word of God, it was a love letter from God given to you and I to instruct us and encourage us and to move us along. This kind of pride doesn't have time to read the Bible, sometimes because they're doing God's work. This is ugly, and it sneaks up on you before you know it, and you're trying to control everything. One preacher asked his congregation, he said, uh, if any of you in here is perfect, I want you to stand up. Sure enough, somebody in the back stood up. And the preacher said, do you really think you're perfect? He said, no, sir, I don't. He said, then what are you standing up for? He said, I'm standing on behalf of my wife's first husband. There's a perfect man. (laughs) This is no laughing matter. This kind of pride runs so deep and changes us from the inside out in in ways that we don't even know is happening. Because we think we're right and good, always in charge. When we should be submitting to each other and submitting to the Lord. So, how do we fix this? Don't be afraid. We don't want to do that. Don't be confused. We don't want to do that. But this pride thing, how do we fix this? Well, I can tell you, one thing is to uh, do a little self-examination. You go home today and you pick up the Bible and you read the kind of life that God wants you to live and then compare that kind of life you're living, you won't have any trouble muscling up a little humility. Trust me. But the next big thing is to just serve like Jesus serves it's amazing how that changes things. In John chapter 13, I love this story. They're all gathered together, Jesus and the disciples, and the servant didn't show up. They so got nobody washed their feet, filthy feet, and they're all sitting around deciding, who's the servant? Who's, I'm not washing feet. I'm not washing feet. And while they're arguing over who's the best, the God of the universe, the creator of everything we know and see, wrapped a towel around his waist, got down on his hands and knees, and washed their filthy feet. He said, I set you an example. This is the way I want you to treat one another. You want to eliminate pride in your life, you serve like Jesus served, unannounced. He didn't say, can I get everybody's attention a minute? I'm about to do something humble. No, he just did it. You do it unnoticed. This kind of humility is not looking for recognition, your name in the church paper or anything. You just do it. You do it unselfishly. Jesus wasn't thinking, well, if I wash their feet, surely they'll wash mine. No, no, no. And you do it Unbiased. One of the feet he washed was Judas. I bet probably the first one. He knew what he was gonna do. And you serve connected. Jesus said, if you abide in me and I abide in you, you'll produce much fruit, John 15. So fear not, God, you have nothing to be afraid of. You don't have to be afraid of COVID. You don't have to be afraid of the Republicans, the Democrats, the Chinese. You have nothing to be afraid of because your salvation is set in Jesus Christ. And God's in charge of all this. Everything's working out just the way he wants it. And you don't have to be confused. What you need to do is go home, turn off CNN, turn off Fox News. Check the headlines out every now and then. If you want the truth, go to the Word of God. There's more truth in there than you could absorb in your lifetime. So stay plugged into the Word of God. And let's beat this pride thing. Best way to do it is right over at this table where Jesus Christ told, even though found equality with God. Didn't want to hold on to that. But the Bible said he gave it up humbly, even to the cross. I mean, if the king of the universe can humble himself and die for us, certainly we can come up and get on our knees and thank him for that and let him run our lives. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for the example of humility that you gave us. I mean, you. the only one that ever walked this planet that didn't have anything to be humble for. And you showed us. Through your broken body and shed blood, we give you praise this morning. We want to live for you and because of you. It's in your precious name. Amen.